Welcome everyone to the 28th episode of the New Gen Mindset Podcast. I'm Dan Kozell here with uh, Nick Tartaglia. Nick, it is Wednesday. Uh, no, it's Thursday. Oh, it's Thursday. I don't even know what day it is. <laughs> we, we, we're, I don't know. Every day just goes by. There's yeah, always stuff 100%. happening. There's always stuff happening. There's a presidential debate on tonight. I'm sure it's going to be talked about all over, but we're not going to talk about that here today. What we're going to do, um, we've got a very, uh, we've got a special guest here. Um, and Nick found him on Instagram. This is how the world works now. You can find anybody with common interest on Instagram and Next thing you know, they'll be on your podcast, but we're going to really focus deep dive onto various topics. But without further ado, this gentleman is a political scientist, economist, and scholar from the Ivory Coast, living in Southern Chicago in the US. And he's published over a dozen books in political science and economics. His books include The Economic Development of West Africa in the 21st Century, the Economic Condition of Black America in the 20th Century, Classic Liberalism in Africa, and Income Inequality in Economics. In addition, to, in addition to his books, he has published numerous scientific papers, research papers in economics, ResearchGate, uh, and on academia.edu, and also published many columns with the Mrs. Institute and the Foundation for Economic Education. This gentleman focuses his work in public choice theory and econ econometrics. I apologize if I mispronounced that. And he also holds a bachelor degree in political science from the Catholic University of America and a master's degree from George Washington University in political management. And he's currently pursuing a certificate in statistics at Duke University. Welcome to the New Gen Mindset podcast, Germinal Van. Thank you, guys. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Thank you, Dan. Uh, yeah, it's an honor to be on you guys' podcast uh, because it shows that indeed my work has some value. It, ha it has some impact. And without any, you know, without wasting any time, I guess we can definitely get into the subject. But of course, I can talk about my past for a little bit. So, yeah. So that's uh, it. So, you need before you start, just because obviously, your purpose in life now is clearly visible through your work. So to question whether or not you like economics and econometrics, econom um, I always mess up the word. E e econometrics. Econometrics, public theory, uh, the principles of law and philosophy. I can tell you like it. So the question now becomes, how did you get to this point? philosophically through economics, through statistics? Well, obviously that wasn't your start through education. No, no. So what was my start was political science. And the reason why I wanted to study political science was because back then I was convinced by all the things that the earth possess, that I will be the president of my country. That is why I decided to study politics. So I was like, I'm going to come to the United States, get my education and go back. But I also realized that I've always had a uh, Anglo-Saxon mentality. I've always had a uh, British slash American point of view of the world. I strongly believe in empiricism, the scientific method, observations, pragmatism, and stuff like that. 
So it's not a surprise that my, obje my objective started to change. So it started to change specifically after grad school. So after grad school, I wanted to go to law school because I wanted not to do politics in the US. And uh, I tried to go to law school. I took the LSAT three times and I failed, failed to get into law school. And I felt that it was an intellectual insult that I couldn't get into law school while there, there's some people who are definitely less smarter than me, but still managed to get into law school because you have people who are very good test takers. Of course. So there's that factor that I, I could not ignore. And on top of that, you know, the LSAT, it's pretty tough. Like you have like 25 questions that you got to do in 35 minutes and there's the language barrier too. You got to think fast. So at that time, I have to say that mentally I wasn't, I wasn't ready. So I decided to then write my first book. I, I started to write a very long time, but I never finished what I started. And my mom hates people who do not finish what they start. <laughs> and that was one of the issues that she had with my dad too. So I was like, ah, you have to be committed right. to the completion of your task. It, I, have, I have a question. I'm obsessed with completing my work. For the first book, yeah, yeah, was, go ahead, the, go ahead. was the intent to, uh -huh. was your intent to write the book or was it just to write pieces of blogs or pieces of thought? No, no, then, the you know, it was really to book. Okay, see, where me yeah. was the inverse. Me was, and my first book was, I was just writing blog pieces and then I landed on a topic that had to do with social dynamics in the financial markets and how consumer and demand kind of worked and then it led me down this whole f systemic framework. And then I just ended up writing a book. So for me, it was pure coincidence. I never thought I would end up writing one. Yeah. So yeah, keep, keep going. No, mine was very specific. It was about, yeah, yeah it was about uh, writing a book and it was specifically combining political science and law. So because at the time I was very interested in, interested in legal theory. And uh, so I wrote my first book in April, 2018. When I was able to get and feeling is is those kind of experience honestly once in your lifetime like it's that first feeling because after you write two hundred books the feeling is different but that first book you write and you had the physical copy in your hand it's something different so once I got that I was like done so Energized. I kept writing 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 and. I have a topic. The first thing I do is that I write the title, I put the abstract, and I build a uh, outline. Doing that forces me to be committed to the task. It doesn't mean that it's every single idea that I had, I started, that I finished. Of course, there's some books that I started, and then in the middle, I stopped because I knew that I wasn't going anywhere. But most of the books that I wanted to write, I completed them. So um, that's when. I started to write and then I got into economics because I, in fact, left the Republican Party to get into the libertarian philosophy. And libertarianism is, is a, uh, it's a philosophy that is very inclined into economics. So that's when my interest start reading uh, Mrs. Hayek, start watching a lot of videos of Milton Friedman and Thomas Sowell and <laughs> all course, these Liberty too. guys. Well, which one are your, which one, which one's your favorite? Yeah. Which of the, My, who's your favorite? Okay, because honestly, I have been overindulged. The Freedom to Choose series by Milton Friedman, Thomas Sowell. I've been following them for 
almost a year-ish now and more and more becoming more like then I fell into Ludwig. So I see you post for the Mises Institute, which is, is it the Ludwig uh, Mises Institute? Yes. So have, exactly. So the more you start dabbling in those thoughts to start, you start connecting like Thomas Sowell, Mitted Freeman, the Hoover Institute, Chicago School of Business, Adam Smith, Ludwig. You start connecting them. It's like, holy crap, all these guys are brilliant men who make so much sense when they talk and all their reference is quantified behaviors through economics. And it's like, wow. It's like, why yeah. have I never been taught this stuff? Right. And yeah, no, like Thomas Sowell uh, is definitely my favorite. Kind of, I even call him the goat. I stopped saying his name. He, he, is, <laughs> he is the goat. He is the goat. Yeah, he's the goat. Like he's, he's my favorite econ economist because he and I have basically the same style of writing, the same approach. And we mostly talk about the same topics. But I started to demarc myself a little bit from Thomas Sowell because I don't want to be the... Yeah, I mean, it feels nice. It feels good to be called like the Thomas Sowell of our generation. That's that's cool, but I don't want to be known as that. You don't want, you want your known. own shadow. You don't want to be exactly. in the shadow of somebody else. Exactly. I, I want to be Germinal Van. That's who I am. And my work is definitely more technical than Thomas Sowell. This is one difference because when you take Thomas, when you read Thomas Sowell's books, they're all like verbal reasoning. Yeah, it's a lot more philosophical and exactly. for like normal people to understand. Exactly. Even even Milton Freeman did the same thing, but he only had a few books that were very technical. Yeah, and and, and my books became definitely more technical because and the reason why was because uh, when I started, I was my economic philosophy aligned more with the Austrian school, but. I felt that their methodology, so praxeology, which is the science of human action, that's how they call it. Yes. I felt, I that, it, yeah. I felt that it was insufficient in terms of a rigorous uh, economic analysis. So, of course, like, don't get me wrong, praxeology makes sense. And Ludwig von Mises actually showed that it worked because when he wrote his book, Socialism, which is a 600-page book, he wrote that in 1922 that socialism is doomed to fail. Mm -hmm. There was no data, nothing. You used pure logic to demonstrate that. And in 1991, the Soviet Union indeed collapsed. So, hey, kudos to that guy for that. But now we have more economic data available mm -hmm. to us. We have more information. So today you don't see any economy using praxeology to build a economy. No, you don't do that. You use econometrics. That's why I got into econometrics. Maybe. If you want to be considered as a serious as a real economist, econometrics is a must. So, mm -hmm. so can, you, can you elaborate on what, just for our listeners, just so they can understand, because we're obviously here, we're, we're talking about economic theory and how yeah. it's being applied in real life. And that the reality is one system or even a combination of two systems is infinitely more successful and better than one system that I think a vast majority of people our age who think it is the system that works, it, it obviously has failed, but like it just elaborate sort of on econ econometrics, what it is and how you're applying it today. Yeah, so, exactly. So econometrics basically is uh, the use of statistical techniques to get uh, empirical content. So basically, what does it mean? It means that you use statistical method to analyze economic, uh, to basically to estimate um, economic variables, to test hypotheses, or to uh, forecast. 
let me give you an example. Um, you know, okay, let's say that we all know that property rights, having a high degree of property rights will lead necessarily to economic prosperity or economic growth because yes. people, you know, they own their stuff, they can exchange their goods and services and blah, Yes. But this is the verbal, philosophical... But how do you prove that actually property rights does lead to economic growth? That's the question. How do you prove that? Yes, it makes sense to explain logically that yes, from point A, you do this and you get to point B. But how do you prove that? That's when econometrics comes into play. So you use the data available to you. So I wrote a paper on that where I proved that uh, property rights indeed leads to economic growth in Africa. So Africa should use, should focus on expanding their access to property rights. Because So what I did was that I took 15 countries, I built a data where I took 15 countries and the 15 countries that I took were all, they're all the leaders in the, uh, in the geographical regions, like the respective geographical regions. So I took all of them and what I did was that I tested their impact. So the impact of their property rights index on their economic freedom. So the higher is your property right index, the higher is your economic freedom index. Mm -hmm. If you want to look at the data, you can either go to the international, international property rights index, you will find the data there the values for property rights and you can go to the heritage foundation to get the um, the economic freedom index so i built it i took these two data and these two data set and i built my own data and i test the model and the model was showed a positive correlation nice so that's how so when people say oh how do you prove that say well that's what so you economic if i if i could define it another way uh, tell me if you agree or not would it okay. be good to say that the system you use in order to quantify things is basically how you quantify the cause and effects of human dynamics in the economic system. Yes. That's, because, that's the whole thing. Yes. Because it's in reality, there's someone who said that economics is basically investing plus psychology. If you understand human nature, how humans behave, and you understand how humans allocate resources, accumulate resources and consume them, you can then well, for, in my example, because I don't have the background like you do, my observations are entirely through the financial markets. So I observe employees, employers, which all reflects itself through the economic system. But the way I observe it is purely through enterprise dynamics, how humans behave versus businesses, business to business, business to, Consumer. to consumers, all of those. Yeah, it's industrial organization. That's what you do. Industrial. And let me tell you this. In for what you do, you do not use econometric. Econometric nope. is not the appropriate tool. hundred percent. Do I don't use that. Me econometric really, in yeah. finance, yeah. Econometric in finance, it's good when it comes to market volatility, those kind of stuff, like the stock market. But when it yeah. comes to observed employees and stuff, like how people behave in the financial market, the, the, the behavior specifically, and since on the word behavior, the yeah. appropriate technique is game theory. Yeah. Okay. Game theory, the mathematics of game theory is, in fact, the appropriate mathematics for economics, mm -hmm. period. Yeah. And it's interesting that econometrics is, is becoming its own separate field. Because, you know, uh, because economics deals more with, like, consumer behavior, production, and distribution. Econometrics deals more with cause and effect. Cool. So, cause you can and see that's, that it's too, yeah, that's, it's a, that, that, that's a much deeper dive. Exactly. 
in the data. You have to test it. You're quantifying it. Yeah. You know, you know how to read it. If it's, if I give me a ratio, if you just give me a ratio, I can interpret it a thousand ways. But if you give me the dynamics or the behaviors, I'll go get the data and then I'll quantify those dynamics through the numbers. Exactly. That's what econometrics is. But when it comes, because you specifically like your, your ideas revolves more, not on econometrics at all, but you're more with like, but I, uh, I see. So when I do my stuff and I watch your stuff, every time you say you write something, you, you analyze something, I look at it and I go, it's my same conclusion. I just see you quantifying it through numbers and I'm using purely behavioral analysis and yeah. market analysis to quantify mm -hmm. it my way. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, yeah, exactly. And, uh, and as I said, like the mathematics of game theory is the appropriate tool for that. Like if you start using game theory in your analysis, it will even, it will make your analysis even more compelling, Of course, more compelling. There is no like uh, testing data, but you, you may need to know a little bit of math. The math of is course, not complicated, but you still need to know some. Oh, anyway, it's basically understanding a positive and negative and a zero sum game. Once you understand that, yes. honestly, as a basic, basic principle for me, at least, because look, I never liked math because of course school doesn't teach you why math is so important and all these things. But if you understand the basic components of a plus negative and a zero sum game, you can kind of start understanding why, well, when the government does this or when a business does that, it puts somebody else at a disadvantage and puts somebody else at an advantage. So you get a zero sum situation or you get a positive or a negative situation. And then yeah. you start realizing, well, games should be dictated on a zero sum rule, not on a yeah. negative. And, 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 and you, you are addressing a point that is very important here. And this is what most economists do as a mistake is that economics is first of all the science of consumers behavior so as i said the appropriate tool for that is the mathematics of game theory but you have a lot of economists who focus economics on the allocation of scarce resources i'm not interested in what uh robinson crusoe will do this time between by allocating coconuts and i don't know oranges i don't care what i'm interested in is when when Robinson Crusoe trade with Friday, right? How that trade? What what stimulated that that trade? So it's their it's their mental behavior that is important that actually guide them to that trade because it's a it's a neutral it's a neutral perspective exactly because because the individual in itself can, cannot live in complete isolation. You need to socialize. That's why and you socialize through trade getting so, value to exchanging each other exactly. i give you my time memories are considered a resource and exactly. the principles of economics are the the consumption production and allocation of resources and you yes. do that through the exchange of value if i give you my time you give me money if i give you my time you give me your time things exactly. like that it's exactly. a play game of allocating time resources exactly. memories exactly. wealth everything exactly and the point is like what each economic agent in to gain from this exactly. from this trade. So that's why game theory is important. Uh, be behave, behavioral economic is your thing, then I would strongly 
strongly encourage you to start focusing on game theory because oh, that's, that's, you can even go on YouTube. Yeah, just, you no, no, exactly. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah you yeah, don't need yeah. to get like the masters. No, you don't. You just go on YouTube. You, you can even take a, 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 a certificate on Coursera to give yourself some game theory. Like, start learning about game theory. That's how I did for, for, for econometrics. The, the I did way- not go to school for econometrics. I studied political See, I went into yeah, school. Yeah, I went to school. I went to school into accounting. <laughs> Dan, you did finance, right? Yeah, I did finance and marketing. Yeah. So you see, like, and the ironic thing is, I I honestly hated economics at school. Like, I hated it. It was one of my worst classes, and I never understood like the relevance of economics until later. What I graduated four years ago, I was almost so four years later after graduating, I finally come to realize, oh my god, it's one of the most important frameworks. Of it, a system, it's the backbone of the system. Really, and, and the reason, and the reason why most of us used to hate economics is because school system do not teach economic economics the right way. They teaching econo- economics. It, to it, 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 explain that. Explain that. Because yeah. I, I actually agree. I, I agree to that to a certain degree. I did take yeah. economics very like seriously. I did okay in it. I did yeah. well in others because it was a lot of finance stuff. That's how my brain thinks. But can you explain that? Because I happen to agree with that statement in particular. Yeah, sure. So what here's the thing. Economic, e- economics started, first of all, that's why economics, first and foremost, is a social science. Because it started as a branch of philosophy. When Adam Smith wrote the, the Wealth of Nations, he did not use a single mathematical symbol. Everything was re- written verbally. Yeah. So what I'm trying to say is that economics, you need to understand the history behind it. Why are we having that economic theory today? In fact, it's, it's, the, uh, it's the consequences of the world that lead us to having a given economic theory. For example, why do we have Keynesian economics? In fact, John Maynard Keynes did not create Keynesian economics. The person who created Keynesian economics was um, Thomas Robert Malthus, when he advocated for government intervention to recover the economy. But why Keynes is credited for it? Because Keynes applied that for the Great Depression. Keynes was a mathematician. He was a trained mathematician, but he considered himself a philosopher like most of the time, because he applied economics from a philosophical perspective. Now in school, what they do is that they train you to become a technician. Yeah. But the problem is that they omit the, the, the historical part of economics. Right. So you're basically, so yes, you're a skilled economist and that's the problem with many planners. Okay, I want you, you have to you have those if you look at most of these nobel prize economists they all like very skilled economists they're econometrician and stuff like that they use math like you have people like paul samuelson but when it comes to the history of economics like when it comes to the understanding of what have led us to have this given economic theory today they're unable to explain that to you and the school system doesn't do that you major in economics, they train you pretty much to become an analyst. And that's the funny thing because you don't even, when, once you get your degree, you don't go and work as an economist. You work as a financial analyst, data analyst, data scientist. That's all. Right. Basically, it's like, it, it, it's, like, it's like what you study means nothing. You don't deal about production, distribution. Right. Yeah, they don't teach you. You don't use that in your work. 
So you so know, you, know it's, you, you, you yeah. just brought up a really good point, actually, too. There's a there's an important word, and this is what economics actually is. I think it's production. Well, yes. Right. So the, the, so the source of power comes from production. Yes. But there's a yeah. consumption component and the, yeah, and correct. the reallocation. Correct. But the only way that you can get to consumption and reallocation is through production. Exactly. It's production. So here's my question. There's a lot of people out there right now um, who are sort of comfortable with the idea of consumption, right? And I want to pull up a quote here that you have on your Instagram, because this is what got my attention right away the first time okay. I started following you too. And I was just like, yo, this guy understands it. I want everybody to listen to this. Quote, the reason why most people stay in a state of mediocrity is because they make the mistake to measure opportunity by outcome instead of doing its exact opposite. End quote. So that's, it, feel, it, that, it sounds that, very that, Thomas Sowell. I'm just saying. It, yeah, it, exactly. It, so, 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 I actually got that from him and I expanded it in the book that I'm going to publish next. So, why, so, you know, like you, you, you embrace his, his, his wisdom, oh, yeah. but you, you then you, you create your own brand out of it. After. I, 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 I want to ask you like, what it, it's, I feel like this exactly. is related to pr production, but what do you mean by this? Like, can you okay, just, so can you what does it mean? So, what does it mean to measure economic uh, opportunity by outcome? Measuring opportunity by outcome means that based on what the outcome will be, you try to allocate opportunities. Government. And that is a terrible mistake because by doing that, when when an opportunity comes, because that opportunity does not align with the outcome that you envision, you dismiss it. You see what I mean? So let's say, for instance, that, let me give you an example. Let's say you want to become, I don't know, a politician, but you have a great opportunity to work as a data analyst where you'd be making, like, I don't know, 200K. But because you want to become a politician, you're going to get rid of that. But if you took that, oppor that opportunity, so if you measure the outcome of the opportunity, what would have happened? Dan, Dan, this is, this is, oh, no, no, we, call oh, no. it, we call it opportunity cost. Yes. Uh, okay. Well, hold yes, on. Let, let him finish. Cost. Let him. Let yeah, him I will. I will. I just. I just wanted to relate it to finance for you. Opportunity yeah. cost. That's so. So, that's, so, so if you took. So if you took that opportunity, maybe you would have. That opportunity would have led you to an even greater outcome than the one it. you envision. Yeah. And what it does is that the people who measure opportunity by outcome are generally arrogant because they think that they know, while the person who measured the outcome by the opportunity is humble because he doesn't know. He said, "I follow along." And it's funny, like, I'm going to get a little philosophical here, but this is one of the mistakes of the Western philosophy compared to Eastern philosophy, like Chinese, Korean, Japanese philosophy, Indian philosophy, they're very metaphysical people. They usually don't plan that much. They go along with the flow. You follow the river. But Bruce the, Lee, Bruce Lee is river quote. Exactly. But quote. The, the, the Western philosophy is like, you got to work hard to get what you want. And so basically you're trying to fight the the power like the direction of the river like the river flowing that way you try to go against this direction the you're the one losing and this is one of the mistakes that the western this is one of the flaws i would say of western philosophy mm -hmm. so some I, I will say that western philosophy you sometimes focus too much on measuring the opportunity by the outcome instead of doing the opposite compared to the to the asians who measure the opportunity uh do measure the outcome by the outcome opportunity. Got it. Interesting. Okay.
It's yeah. it's just yeah. It's a very think about it. Everything. The the reason is like even Thomas Milton say this. Everything we do in life has a cost, and that cost can be quantified in our reality because everything we do is about allocating some sort of resource in order to get it done. Exactly. Therefore that therefore that trade off then gets studied. And that's exactly. where you come in with your data, with the way you analyze information. Yeah, exactly. I want to go back to the schooling thing you guys said. And I wanted to ask you this because I've been having this conversation with a lot of people. The way I've been challenging myself, because it's, it's, there's not many people that really understand economics. So I kind of have to challenge my thinking process by kind of going on social media and interacting with people. So I kind of established, well, at least I think I've established that there's two primary, kind of going back to what you were saying, there's two primary school of frameworks of economics. One is that of the original principles and philosophy of economics, which is that like the natural world, like animals do, there's a system, which is the, the invisible hand of the world that somehow drives us to add value in order to gain something back. Mm -hmm. So the free market principle takes a neutral perspective as though every single entity that is social is a player. Like the government is its own player, but yeah. the educational system, the way it now implements the, 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 the understanding of economics is as though the government is the central player to the entire system. And therefore the way it studies the economy is as though it can be manipulated and adjusted as it wishes to do. It's, it was implemented through its own framework, yes. not through a free market framework. Yes. Because if you look at it in history, it's, it's, it's literally this. Adam Smith created his whole philosophy. Governments became obsessed with what he did. They took his books, they read it, and then they said, cool, I'm going to implement it through the government's framework, which has always been about control. So now it controls the economy. Therefore, it controls the economic potential of its citizens. Yeah. And actually, to add to your thing, to even make it simply, you... The, the analysis you gave, but it's, it's way too complicated. I'm going to simplify that for you. <laughs> Economics in schools is simply taught the Keynesian way, period. That's yeah, how it okay. is. Yeah, there, there it is. It's simply taught the Keynesian way. They teach you about taxes. In, I don't, they don't teach you those things. Yeah. Because, why? Because the market eventually comes to an equilibrium. However, yes. the, the thing is, it is also important to not analyze economic theory, though, from political philosophy and that's where sometimes people including myself i used to make that mistake is that you analyze economic theory and you want the economic theory to align with your political philosophy <laughs> you to do so much that the market is always better than government intervention but it's important to under to understand and to recognize to some extent the utility of the coercive power of government mm -hmm. because at the end of the day without the utility of government it will be anarchy. Why? Because men, human beings, always want to enslave their fellow human beings. Unfortunately, it's slavery. Just, has it's, it's just history repeating yeah, itself, right? Exactly. Because so, the, there's one thing that has happened since the creation of human civilization is that slavery has been a legal organization in every human society, not just in the United States. In Brazil, in Cuba, Germans used to enslave. Um, Slavs, that's why we have the word Slav. You see, when you yeah. say the Russians, the Czechs, that's Slav. from there that the word slave comes from. Europeans used to, used to enslave each other. Yeah, so yeah. it's not just a, a, an American product. In China, in China, like the Japanese colonized the Chinese. Yeah. Japan, which is tiny, tinier than, than China, still managed to colonize China. So what I'm trying to say is that Slavery is embedded in human behavior. The That's power of labor. 
to provide power yeah, of labor. To some extent, I like Thomas Hobbes when he talk about like a strong state. I mean, he goes a little too far when he say that the, the power of the state should be absolute, but the justification for which the state must exist is legitimate. Of course. Because there, yeah, you have like, and, and this is one of my contentions with anarcho-capitalists. They all it's say- It's oh, limited, like, limited government. Exactly. Anarcho-capitalists, they say, we don't need any government. Everybody's securing his property. I say, okay, here is this. How would you provide a law? So, and they say that we should, uh, the, the, the police, the military and the judiciary should be privatized. So how would you provide a law enforcement service to a place like the South side of Chicago? The South side of Chicago is one of the most dangerous places in the United States. So let's say that the South of Chicago, there's a high demand. When I say demand, not because they buy, but because they need it. There's a high demand for law and for, for protection there. But the people who live there make less than 30K. Crime rate is, let's say, 60% and poverty rate is about 40%. How would you tell the guy who lives in Chicago that, oh, you know, uh, we don't need government to protect you, like the NAP, the non-aggression principle, we don't aggress each other and we're all secure. The guy's hungry. He's going to take your shit. Sorry for game theory. Out. Game theory. You have to assume yeah. an irrational player. Exactly. He's going. He's going to take your side. He's going to take your property. So, so it's primal. Property it's primal law. So, yeah. So, so this is where this is where it gets interesting. And I know that <laughs> in twelve days, everybody's eyes are going to be on this election. And there's been this entire summer of this discussion of defunding police, defunding police. And I personally think it's ridiculous. I don't I think it's that. Uh, yeah. And I know Nick thinks that's ridiculous too, but maybe like, I feel like you've done a really good job of explaining it from an economic standpoint as well. Now yeah. here's another question I have for you. I'm going to play, let's pretend I'm a socialist. Okay. And I have a lot of socialist friends who, <laughs> say, who say, yeah, they need to reduce cop production. They need to abolish slavery, get rid of it. But they accept the idea of a socialist rule government, right? Which forces isn't other that, people. But isn't that anarchy? And isn't that like a double, isn't that, aren't you like, like, isn't that, uh, what's it's the hypocrisy, word? Hypocrisy, hypocrisy. I don't want to use the word hypocrisy. But it, it is, it is. Very, it's a hypocrisy in a framework, in right. a mindset. Uh, you can't do this to me, but I can do it to you. But does that, is, does that explain like what is going on? Like, so here's the thing. No, so. The thing, here's the thing with socialists. They think that, or maybe they know, which means that they're very manipulative. So what I'm trying to say is that they think that they are, they support the welfare of humanity, specifically the poor. Mm -hmm. But how do you expect the poor to thrive in a society when it doesn't have access to private property because you abolish it? Because the fundamental principle of socialism is that there is no private property and the government is the one all owned by the state yeah exactly everything is controlled by the state union but by making the state the ultimate so the obsian state because socialism is pretty much the obsian state which so if you yeah by implementing obsian state what do you expect you expect you expect the people who are ruling this to become your new god you're not going to thrive and the, the people who say that we should defund the police, it doesn't make sense. In a socialist state, the police is even stronger. Yeah. It is stronger. <laughs> look, look at the Soviet Union. <laughs> look at Nazi Germany. It was the, the Gestapo that was controlling people's emotions. It was the Brancher, the SS, uh, the, 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 the Schumstaffen. The, yeah. they, they were the guys that were controlling 
the uh, people's behavior. It was the same. I don't know about the, the, the political police in Russia. I forgot the names, but they have something yeah, like KG, have, KGB. The KGB, thank you. Yeah. They, have, they, they had that in even the Russian president is a former KGB officer, so great. So you see, they, 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 they implement that. It's, it's, it's complete hypocrisy, but even the hypocrisy, where the, that hypocrisy is grotesque is that it started with Marx. Yeah. Marx was a rich white liberal dude who complained about inequality. What are you complaining about? <laughs> Frederick yeah. Engels was rich. I mean, those guys were, they were wealthy. What are you complaining about? And they, they make, and but here's the thing guys, they, they, they make, they make the, the, the poor like holy, like he's a flawless guy who all he wants is to be, to, to feel good, to, to be better, to have a better condition society. The rich is a bad guy. No, no. We live in a world of human beings. The truth is, the reason we have rich and poor, the reason we have governed and those who govern is because those who govern have accepted to be governed. When someone dominates you, it's because you accept that person to dominate you. Yep. If you're tired of someone's bullshit, you cut it off. And how a society cuts off the bullshit by becoming educated. If you're not educated, people will step on you. It's so a that's primary pillar. Are still, that's why when people talk about like the, the, the Rothschild, for instance, the Rothschild family, or the Rothschild, Rothschild, Rothschild. Rothschild. Anyway, Rothschild. No worries. Rothschild, okay. <laughs> because in French, we say the Rothschild. So the Rothschild <laughs> family, for instance, like those guys, they, 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 the, pres- the, the guy who started that family was broke. He used to live in the ghetto. Yeah. That's what people don't understand. But what happened? The guy had like his IQ is like close to 160. He thought fa- he thought faster than the average guy whose IQ is, is 80. Well, dude, if you if someone whose IQ is like 160, well, is going to, to think faster than you and make you subjected to him. So now how can you make sure to not be subjected to that guy? Get educated. People forget mm-hmm. that IQ evolves. Yeah. IQ evolve. It's not it's something static. It, it, and and that's and that's that's the beauty about life too, is like it it's a continual process. Yeah, like exactly. a year from now, we're like we're all gonna be different, but yeah. we're only but it's gonna be one of two things. You're either gonna be better or you're gonna be worse, right? Absolutely. And that's a choice that you have as an individual too. Absolutely. I, in the economic system, in the Absolutely. whole ecosystem. Yeah. And, and 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 I actually want to touch a subject here where we, you know people of color they always complaining about the lack of access to resources first of all the united states of america is the richest country in the world in terms of new wealth being created every day the people who are complaining about being poor being uh, oppressed I'm like, why don't you move to Africa and see what poverty is? Why don't you move to the Middle East and see how, like, where you do not have access to resources at all? Because the poorest man in America, mm-hmm. if you take that man or that woman, that poorest person, you put that person into a place like Sierra Leone, that person will be in the upper class. So everything depends on what you want to do. You complain about that life is tough, but you don't want to leave. No, wait, I think, who was it said? Was it? Was it Will uh, Walter E. Williams? Uh, one of them said it, where he says, it's al- "Was it's always compared to what? Exactly. You must always compare your whatever you're saying. Compare exactly. it to contextualize it to something else. Exactly. If you think you're poor here and you're wealthier than 99% of the rest of the world, clearly <laughs> you're complaining about something and you're not realizing that there's a lot more opportunities in your environment yeah, than exactly. you don't realize. 
because yeah and, and and that's the thing like let's say like if i live in san francisco yes i'd be poor because a, a cost of living in san francisco is 5k yeah. i don't have 5k but if i live in kentucky i'll be among the richest guy because a one bedroom for let's say i, I make 60k and i live in kentucky i mean i'll be in the in, in the you'll be in the top 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 yeah top echelon bracket then for sure exactly but that same money i make if i live in san francisco i've been in the bottom i've been in the bottom so it's all it's all related so people need to understand and and they always complain that they're being offended they're being this they're being that i always to remind people i say hey there is over one million people coming to this country every single year it tells you everything you need to know right if people were happy where they're from they wouldn't have they, would, they wouldn't have they wouldn't have stayed they wouldn't have stayed there if they were happy exactly yeah but coming here for economic opportunities absolutely yes. you can claim that the united states yes the united states has its flaws but at the end of the day you have more opportunities here than anywhere else and people say america is racist is america still racist probably but i say imagine for a second the united states was colonized by china you think those guys will recognize your bill of rights? Oh. Dude, they'll, they'll come in there, they'll rip it up, they'll put 5G towers everywhere, forget it. Sometimes I, I look at people, I'm like, sometimes like, you, need, you, need to go, you need to be grateful for where you are. Wake up, like realize there's a whole yeah, the world out there. Yeah, that, that's what when people complain, I'm like, listen, today we live, and especially today we have access to resources that our parents, not even grandparents, but parents did not have Parents that have access to. It's so to true, man. Today, you can make research without just going the phone. to Google. just this phone. phone, Google, do it. It's right there. Like, let's say 50 years ago, you had, let's say you were in law school 50 years ago. You have to go to the library, to the law library, take those huge case, uh, uh, case law books, you know, read through it. You had no laptop. Exactly. There's no light. Sometimes no, laptop, you no reviews on the books. You don't and, know what and, people and, 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 and today you can pursue your education online. So when people yeah. say, Oh yeah, like I don't have access to resources. What resource you don't have? I always said this, I continue to brag about this. I said this, the certificate in statistics that I'm pursuing, I'm doing it through Coursera. I did not at, at home, right? Like on your home, laptop. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, I did not take loans from the government to pursue a master's degree to do my search my or to do a master's degree in statistics yeah so, i do it through coursera and so, i always tell this i say here's the thing right because at the end of the day like culture is, is important like how you raise your child is important i always say this it, it might sound a little messed up but here's the thing especially african-americans they always say yeah they don't have access to opportunities and stuff so i say give $350 to, to an Asian kid. I don't want to stereotype, but I have to stereotype here to see what you, I'm going to say. Give $350 to, a, a, to an Asian kid and give those same uh, $350 to a black kid. And they both live in the ghetto. So they both live in the hood. The black kid will take that money. He will go to JP Cheney and buy whatever. Those, that same money you give it to an Asian kid is going to go on Coursera and pursue a certificate in data science. And then make sure that once he finished from that, he gets 80K a year. So, so he, he they, it's, they, why, they, it's why the median in the United States, Asians have the highest median of, of salary. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the highest median is Asians. And then after them, I believe it's Indians, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah Indians. Yeah. Yeah. 
White people are not even the first nor the second in their own country. I mean, <laughs> data alone tells you more than it. Like, data it's, it's, is quantified. It's, it's, yeah, it's quantified well, analytics of a collective. And this is this is this is the problem with again our socialist friends is if they heard something like this they'd be like oh that's racist you can't stereotype <laughs> and I'm just like look that's fine but the data is here that's the where data is here. the data is here you can't stereotype if the data proves this right and this yeah. is this is what an objective thinking this is what an yeah. objective mind is here right you know, and, I have, and, go and ahead, and go ahead. funny thing who actually does that data is bureaucrats who are socialists <laughs> the, the who do that data. Of course, is that? it's like it's, it's like a US bureau of of labor that does that. So they're the one who creates it. They they're the one who creates the data and do all the statistical analysis that you need. And then you say, okay, this is what happens. And indeed, <laughs> Asians make over eighty k a year. So everything depends on cultural on on culture. The the you know uh, cultural incentives are there. People say, oh yeah, Jewish people control the world. Yes, they control the world because they're into intellectual activities. Jewish people are the one who won most of the Nobel Prizes. Simple as that. Because the Jew, because a typical Jewish family, what they do, they raise their kid instead of giving a soccer ball to their kid or to a basketball to their kid. They say, read the Talmud, read the Torah, and to understand I, those. Books, yeah, and I look. I'm. I'm. To I'm understand Jewish. those books like a very high intellectual. Yeah, so yeah, go ahead, go ahead. I was just gonna go say, ahead. like, I, I, I'm Jewish. When I grew up, I was reading the Talmud. The classic stereotype there is, oh, Jewish people are either business owners, doctors, or lawyers, and that's just like that's just how it is. There's data too that backs it up. Yeah, right? it puts statistical it puts, data that backs it up that says, okay, this is where this people are there. So for people to say it's like, oh, it's racist to think that something is this. Oh, it's you're, you're sexist to think that something is this. I'm like, how is it sexist if the data is there? Have you looked at the actual right? numbers? And, 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 it's even, and, and the historical reason why Jewish are like that is because there were many laws because, you know, Jewish people have been discriminated for so long. Yeah, I so, mean, going back, to, yeah. going back to the pyramids, right? <laughs> exactly. So, so, so there have been always laws where, wherever Jewish were settled, there were always laws against them that prevent them from getting into the farming business because at the time back then it was most societies were agricultural yeah that's why you never see jewish people in agriculture business yeah. that's why they become doctors because that's the only and, thing and, they and, can do so, so, <laughs> and, and you're saying you're saying exactly like you've looked at data from from the past that yeah. actually confirms that right mm -hmm. you've done the studies mm -hmm. there's cause and effect that says that it's Absolutely. there yeah there's yeah. there's there's yeah. an input there's a there's a thing that people forget is that even in ideology, you can quantify the input versus the output, the cause and effects, yeah. culture, ideology, all of it. Education itself in our Western world, in the entire world, whether it's for Africa, Europe, um, Asia, West, everything. Education itself has to have its own culture that is not dictated by a government or by this or that. It should be dictated on the fact that what is the reality of our system? What do our kids need to learn in order to improve the output of our system as a collective? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, 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 that's, and, that's, what, and that's what kills me specifically about the black community because they, they, they're teaching, and it's not just the black community, but even Africans, like the black civilization, they're teaching kids to become sportsmen, artists, entertainers i'm like okay 
it's good to be entertained, but the reality, I'm going to be crude here, but you know, please needs to be said so that people can I wanna hear. I wanna hear this, man. So entertainment never ever developed a society. You do not build infrastructure from entertainment. I'm sorry, you don't do that. You need economists, you need bankers, you need lawyers, you need lawyers to have a legal system and judges and stuff. You need economists to analyze the economic system in order to determine what, in what, uh, how we're going to uh, invest in the resources for the development of our infrastructures. You need architects, engineers, to develop those infrastructures. You need doctors to heal people so that they can go to work and be productive and produce for the economy and raise the level of output. Mm -hmm. You need biologists to detect like if there is a disease coming and stuff like that. That is why the Nobel Prize is such an important prize because it rewards the mind. It rewards people who actually bring something for the development of humanity. That's you know one of the reasons that took me to, to write this book because if entertainment was the way to develop a society, my friend, Brazil would have been the most advanced country <laughs> for playing soccer. Uh, let me give, Ronaldinho, let me, Ronaldo. Let, 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 let me give you a, a very example here that you will find amusing but important. Let's take China. When I grew up, I used to watch a lot of Bruce Lee movies. So every time Bruce Lee, Jackie Chan, so every time I see Chinese, to, to me, it's martial art. That's all they know. And the Chinese were known for that. The Chinese were not respected. But look what has happened in the last 20 to 25 years. The Chinese moved. They made a, a, a psychological shift, a psychological and cultural shift. They moved from entertainment to intellectual. Today, when you see a Chinese person, the first thing that comes in your mind is what? He's a data scientist. He's a geek. He's a mathematician. Well. Basically, they're good with numbers. Guy. They're good with exactly. numbers. Yeah. But what has happened? It's because the Chinese understood that to develop their society, they need people like that. They yeah. sent a lot of people, all, a lot of their youth was sent to the Western yeah. world to learn exactly. and go back over there. Exactly. Most That's of their, it. yeah, go ahead. And, and, and even if you look at the, uh, the admission rate in most Ivy Leagues, who kills it? It's Asians. What Asians do? Before applying to those Ivy Leagues, the SAT, they, they will give, they will study for that. They study that thing for like a year, a year and a half yeah. to make sure to take that test once. Because they, the they understand they preparation. They understand exactly. preparation. Exactly. They understand discipline. It's, it's, exactly. not a, it's not a stereotype, but like what you're talking about is exactly how every society is thinking. There's a reason why that was adopted, right? By the Chinese. Exactly. And, 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 and that's what they do. Imagine you study in a Korean university. Dude. <laughs> you not survive there. No, I would be out Imagine like a dead. The, it's, it's, it goes back to what you're saying before: the 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 full, the input versus the output of an ideology within a culture has either incredible force to the youth and its future, yeah. or regressive, or a regressive type of shift. Like like you said, back to the sports thing. Okay. So let's do a little quick thing. If we know that 1% of all athletes end up becoming athletes and your culture is dedicated to directing your youth into only becoming athletes in order to attain wealth, then you know that 99% of your youth will never attain that. 
And then eventually, once they're in their mid-20s or after university, you have to realize, shit, I need my degree now. Shit, I need to do this. Your output is a consequence of your input. And Economics. Zero-sum game. What you said, the data, the, 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 the data backs it up because the African-American community is the, is the community that makes the, the lowest. Because kids, all they want, it's not their fault. It's because of their parents or their environment. Like, that's what they're... That's but the what welfare state doesn't help that either. Exactly. They say, like, hey, if you want to achieve wealth, you got to become a rapper. You got to become a sportsman. Right. You got to become an artist. You got to do this. You got to do that. But instead of incentivizing, you say, hey, go to school. I'm not saying everyone needs to have a PhD. No, but no. you need to go to school in order to get Just the more marketable to the skills that will be able to make you marketable on the labor market. That's that's what it is. That's what you need. And, and like we say, right? Minimum wage hurts poor communities, the youth. Uh, it, minimum wage, like Dan. This is where I, this is why I was talking to you about. Like I, I'm I'm writing a piece now all about minimum wage. And talking about the dynamics of the financial market and how it's a consequence on increasing cost of living, has an impact on increasing costs for businesses. Therefore, you cannot translate profits over to your employees because you have less money to make. Therefore, the consequence gets laid over, it gets, translates over into the economy as a cost of living, less money for people, and it wedges out. It makes, it prices out poor people and the youth. And it happens yeah. that welfare states are in that scenario, poor communities, young people, you're making it harder and harder for them. So like, it's like the government is wedging itself deeper and deeper into the economic system, gaining more and more control because people are complaining more and more. And the outcome is the inverse of what we expect it to be. No, absolutely. And, and, and yeah, no, absolutely. And to even concur to what you said is that the reason why, you know, so Bernie and the left in general, they always say, uh, we need to increase the minimum wage on the premise that it will, will achieve a living wage. It, it, it's, it's, it's garbage for this economic reason. The minimum wage increase because of inflation. You increase the minimum wage to keep up with inflation. Anytime you increase the minimum wage, what happens? Cost of the living. market value increases. So when you increase, the, you increase the minimum wage, the cost of living, the cost of rent, any, mm-hmm. everything else increases. And for the person who is not educated, will believe that you increase the minimum wage by the cost of living stays. No. So it, 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 they, they increase in a parallel. So they increase Business, to, to give so it, they will never have Exactly. To explain it financially, think of no, it, no, right? No, no, if, no, I'm a, if I'm a business owner and I know that every single year, because let's say small and medium businesses, they're the ones who tend to have the smallest profit margins. When you have small profit margins, sustainability as a business becomes questionable. It, it becomes harder. So if you're telling me that every single year I'm increasing my cost on my expenditure because I'm paying more and more people, more and more money, I have to translate that over onto the consumer. In order to do that, I have to lift prices up. By lifting prices up, what do I do? I've increased the cost of living. And look at it from the government side of the thing. Not only are they making more money because there's more income to tax, but they're also making more money through sales tax revenues because there's more, there's more things that there's the cost are more to tax on government makes more money, but people who are supposed to help make less money as a result. And those who are trying to penetrate the work labor can't penetrate. Mm-hmm. It, it, they're, they're priced out, entirely priced out. Why no, do you think absolutely. He- and, and, so, <laughs> I and find it crazy as, the way, the misunderstanding we say, have. 
no, no, it, it is like it is because people don't understand how the thing was. As to myself, say the 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 government does not is not the personification of the national interest. No. Simple as that. The government yeah. people do not understand that the state has its own agenda that is completely yeah. different than our agenda and the people. The free market agenda. Exactly. But the thing is, the role of the government, the inherent role of government or the political process is to simply be the tool through which we will be able to access the legality of resources. Mm -hmm. that, 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 that's its role, that's it. But now, because, and the reason why the government has its agenda, which is different than ours, is because we made it that way, because we assigned a moral duty to government. I, I we want, keep complaining. I, I want to I talk about one thing now, too. Yeah. And, it's, and it's, it's really interesting because I was at an event once. Uh, it was a sales and marketing business conference, and I bumped into a guy, basically made it from scratch, uh, you know, multimillionaire now runs a very successful business. Yeah. I asked him, I was just like, yo, like I'm working my ass off, mm -hmm. putting in the time, making commissions and stuff. Why can I get people around me to buy into that as well? And he looks at me and he goes, stop being a victim. There you go. He goes, stop being a victim. This was about a year and a half ago. Honestly, ever since he told me that, I, I understood it. So when I talk to people who are, you know, a little, they're, they're, they're liberal, they're socialist, I tell them, like, why are you being a victim in that situation? They get offended by that. But what that really means is they, and this is what you just said, they've given up their own responsibility to somebody else. That's why. And the moment socialism. you do that, yeah, the moment you do that, you've lost everything. Yep. You lost your ability yeah. to do your job. You've lost your ability to run a business, to, to, to do anything. So why, how do we fix yeah, that? How do we fix that? How do we fix that? But, but, but then here's the thing. The thing is that it's unfortunately embedded in human nature. It's because we always feel the need to have someone responsible for us. That's why. And even goes with religion too. I don't know if you guys are religious or not, but when I argue with people on religion, I say, ask yourself those questions. Mm -hmm. When people talk about like, because the people like, they believe in the, in the return of the Messiah and stuff like that. I say, ask yourself these questions. I'm, I'm not trying to get into a religious debate. Don't worry, I'm, I'm a non-believer, so. Yeah, but <laughs> I always, I always I, when people say, like, oh God, blah, 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 I say, okay. Let's take, well, let's say we're Christians, right? We say that God is a perfect being. If he was perfect, why did he have the need to create the world? Because perfection doesn't require any need. Perfection doesn't have feelings. Why do we have a God that only wants us to worship him? Why do we have a God that say we have to do this otherwise? Otherwise what? <laughs> you see what I mean? And it's those things that people don't ask the questions. I'm not saying that God doesn't exist. I'm not saying that, but ask yourself the questions. Right. You can't quantify or analyze the trade-off. Exactly. It's I, impossible. I it's analyze. impossible. Yeah, exactly. 
I understand, and 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 that's in that's the part of human because human nature is afraid of the unknown. Mm-hmm. So that is, that is feel, true. Yes, we feel, and and that's to me that's where the idea of, of God came from because we can't define, we can't, we don't know when some, when something is out of our control. What what do we always say? Oh, it's up to God. Yeah, it <laughs> happen for me. It's because of the unknown. It's killing us. So so you would say, you would say, and I think Nick will agree with this too, but you would say the first thing is you as individuals and as social beings in the economic system, you got to identify, okay, how do I get rid of all the fear, right? How do I find that fear first? How do I get it out of my system? Exactly. The next step is to say, oh, I should probably stop relying on somebody else exactly. and go after what I really exactly. want. Well, here, guys, I want to say this. I find that fear is the primary component of competition. Without fear, you don't really, there's no need for, to compete because then, well, I don't really care if someone's better than me or not. And I find that competition is innate in human behavior through the natural world. Look at animals, the way animals fight each other for resources and property and, and females and to protect their kids. Because, for example, lions, if a lion takes over a property and kills the other alpha male, he then goes and kills all his children in order to, re, to, to reproduce his own lineage. Yeah. That where we come from as humans comes from a state where it's all about protecting our resources and trying to find more resources in order to facilitate our environment. We've become an apex species of humans, but we've completely disconnected from the reality of, a, of the meaning of scarcity, which as Thomas Sowell says, politics is all about ignoring the premise of scarcity. You completely, the government ignores it, but economics, it's all about that because nothing is fine. Nothing is infinite. There's, but, it's finite. But you know why the government ignores it? Because they have to play every, they have to play the voting game. It's a popularity contest. Or I feel like they're either that dumb. It's hard. I honestly, I haven't concluded that yet. It's, it's simply because the government has to do that to be relevant. Why? Okay. Why I like that. that. I like that. The government does not think in terms of, Profit. It thinks in terms of expansion of power. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. in order to expand its power, it has to implement policies. Not that they know it's going to fail. They don't necessarily do that on purpose. Unintended consequences. But it has to be loose so that it will be easier for it to fail. Because when it fails, what happens? Oh, the budget wasn't enough, so we couldn't invest in more resources. So we need. There's, to there's always excuses. Exactly. Yeah. We need That's to create a new program. We need to create a new program to do CPR on the one that already failed. Mm-hmm. But don't forget that the creation of a program always imply the increase in taxation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's why, and then it's just a vicious cycle. Because exactly. they think from the government's right. eyes, the government's eyes, oh, let's do a cost analysis. Cool, we could maybe inflate employment, we can increase taxable income, we can make more money, cost because, of living goes up. There's nothing to lose from their side, exactly. but the unintended consequences plays out in the social yeah. environment. Exactly, because if imagine if the government if the government thought in terms of profit, what what would have happened? Mm-hmm. They won't have any more relevance because the thing work it has to work for them to stay in business that's I, I, is is that is that why people hate trump so much because <laughs> the mean, guy's a businessman right and I, mean, thinking- is, but I think I, I think it's more about <laughs> I, I think here's the thing with trump i think it's because his abrasive personality right over. so even though he's doing some good thing people are not willing to credit him yeah because they, they're afraid yeah they're afraid they cannot admit 
No. Because he reached a point that the hatred for him grew so fast so and so fast. significantly. Yeah. So that even he's doing things that even if you show the data that proves that what he's doing makes sense. <clears throat> I don't believe it. No, no. He's, still, he's still a jerk. <laughs> It's like reversed. It's like reversed fear of missing out in the investment landscape. Well, it's, exactly. People that's, are afraid to not admit it when normally exactly. you like it's crazy. It's not exactly that's what it is. And 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 to come back to to the to the philosophy of government, that's how the government operates, because the expansion of power requires the application of new rules and regulations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the and taxation. Rules, There's no other way. The more rules and regulations that the government implements on the program that it creates in addition to taxation, the more power it gains. Because it also owns the economy. The more you yeah. own the economy, the more you, you have economic pressure on the common man to build his own wealth. So you, you put everybody at a disadvantage because it's so, much more, it's so much more complicated to make wealth starting at the bottom in order to sustain the cost of living that the government has inflated as a result of the wealthy development. Yeah, pretty much. You can't, we cannot sustain that level. So we've been, pri- like, it's, you know, like, I also feel that the government, from their perspective, they have no choice but to ensure a minimum, minimum wage in order to maintain the debt load that they've occurred. Because if they don't, the, the short term hurt from that until the, the market establishes more of an equilibrium point mm-hmm. might create a massive deficit or the inability to pay off their debt loads which could create that's, another economic crisis. That's, that's actually the economic argument, indeed. The social and philosophical argument, it simply wants... Guys, hold on one second. My no, wife. no worries. Okay. Sorry, guys. Hello? How's it going? Oh, yeah. Sorry, it's the wife. Don't worry, don't worry, go, go. She loves food. She wants to know if, I'm take, if I want French fries or not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're good. You got a, a good life there. Yeah. Oh yeah. She's a. She's. A, I would not say maniac. Maniac is a little strong, but she's cooking. <laughs> That's passion, man. That's good. Yeah. She she takes her cooking seriously. So. Yeah. She was. She wanted me. She she wanted to know if I wanted fries because I think we're getting a, a cool ranch wrap. So she wanted to know if I get if I want to get fries. But back to what we're saying. Sorry, guys. <laughs> well, don't worry. Don't worry, man. <laughs> we, we put you on pause for two seconds, but we're back. <laughs> we were talking yeah, about- so go ahead you were saying we were, we were talking about the uh, the government intervention and the way it plays yeah, out so yeah so i was saying that the uh, the the philosophical thing is that for the politician to be relevant he has to completely ignore the laws of economics the scarcity component exactly the scarcity because if he doesn't it can't play its game people would be like oh but i can do that i don't need you yeah that's the thing yeah so that's for that's how that that's why there's a certain group that stays in power for a certain period of time because that entire group is convinced to think that way right because the moment they give that up they've given up they've given up their own control to the people and that's and that's what has exactly happened with minority groups yeah look at black the black community once again the rate of poverty is higher in cities that are governed by black leaders mm-hmm. let me give you an example the data is there to confirm it newark new jersey 
the current mayor of Newark, his name is Ras Baraka. He makes uh, 130,000 a year. Newark is, uh, is predominantly black. The rate of poverty is by black people and is over 40%. Wow. That's just one example though, right? That's just one example. Right. And then I think the other example too, and the data, I've read through the data here too. I think Baltimore is another example. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. They have, what was his name? Elijah. The, Elijah the, 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 the chief police officer commissioner, the, 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 the mayor, the, uh, the half of the police force. It's, it's all black people. And, 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 and even look, Selma, we shall overcome. They walk on that bridge and everything. After the civil rights, Selma became ruled by Democrats for, since the civil rights. And Selma is one of the poorest cities or town of Alabama. Yeah. So why, so I'm giving you guys those examples to come back to our argument, which is, and Thomas Sol talk about that in his book, guys, you guys need to read this. Mm-hmm. Let me read this. Wealth, poverty, and politics. Oh my Thomas, God. Thomas Sowell. Oh my yeah, God. I think everything, everybody has to have that on their reading. Oh my God. Pages. He explained exactly why um, minority groups do not thrive because their leaders prevent them from thriving. Them. They yep. always come, they always come and point the fingers. Let me give yeah. you an example. Um, it's the Amin Dada. You guys heard of him. Of course. Exactly. Of course. The butcher, the, the yeah. butcher, sorry. The, yeah. the butcher of Uganda. When Idi Amin Dada um, became, before he became president of Uganda, you have the Indians and the Pakistanis and the Lebanese who were the minority groups in Uganda. They came in the 40s, in the 30s and the 40s, and they could create new industries and businesses in the Ugandan economy. There's even one uh, minister, no, there's even the, one of the secretaries in the Boris Johnson government, she's Indian, I forgot her name. Her right. name is Priya something. She's, in fact, she's the daughter of one of those people who had to flee Uganda. Wow. Yeah, you, if you look her up, like, if you type Boris Johnson government, like, she's, she has, like, a high position, she's Indian. She's, her, her parents are Ugandans because they were in Uganda at the time. So... Those guys were the ones pretty much controlling the Ugandan economy and the local Ugandans were working for them. And what has happened? India, India mean that they rose to power by spreading nationalistic rhetoric. Yeah, it was lies. He lied exactly. to you. Pointed the finger. Yeah, it's because of this guy. You don't have a job. Look, he's in your country and he's enslaving you, you know. So he said, when I will be president, I will kick all of these people out and blah, blah, blah. He became president and he kept his promise. He kept all of them out. What has happened? The Ugandan economy collapsed immediately. Why? Because the people, the local Ugandans were not able to reproduce what the Pakistanis, the Lebanese, and the Indians have created. As Thomas Sowell said once again, you may confiscate material wealth, but you cannot confiscate human capital. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You took all the wealth, sure but they fled uh-huh. what has happened when they fled they most of them moved to england they yeah. boost the english economy asap <laughs> literally it's, it's the same thing with venezuela 
Exactly. It's another example of somebody who came in. I think Venezuela was the richest country 25 years, 25 years ago. It was yeah. booming. Yeah. Um, and then you had Maduro who came in. He was a socialist. Um, yeah, Chavez and Maduro. And yeah. Chavez and Maduro, they just came in, made the entire country a socialist state and dependent on one resource, which was oil. Yeah. And now, I mean, 25 years later, look what's happening. Venezuelans are fleeing to the United States. Yeah. And, they're, and so what's funny now is those same people who have lived through what one side of the, of the ballot is talking about or claims that they're not talking about, and they hear that, there's, there's certain echoes right there that are saying, yo, like, I don't think you should be electing that particular guy. You got to stick to the guy who's been there for this time. It's crazy. Like, all of this stuff can be explained with what you talked about, and I think Thomas so well too, but... So man. you get why I become obsessed with the, like, economics and stuff uh, uh, of course no, no, it, i it, it, i i i came overly obsessed with these things because it no, just, no, no. It, it is, no, it, it is no, economics is fascinating it's almost an intellectual drug because once you get the basic principles it's game over like that's why like like you just I, say, like, I became an economy yeah you're just an independent thinker yeah. you see would you you german would you consider yourself because this is how i'm considering myself because i don't i you know like i'm self-teaching myself everything i read a lot i'm considering myself like a street academic not a traditional oh. academic because i'm i'm everything is through my own perspective through my own analysis so that's, so, what, that's like actually, a social media social media academic type thing you know yeah <laughs> I, I mean yeah yeah no pretty much yeah i mean i would say that i am formally a professional political scientist because I have a degree, but I am a street economist, a street okay. econometrician. I find that far more, yeah. much, I find that cooler and it, it talks, yeah. it shows like there's a hustle behind you. No, exactly. No, <laughs> I'm definitely a street economist. Yeah, absolutely. I, I thought that myself. Yeah. And I'm, as, as I say, like, what? 80% of my work is pretty much in, in economics but there's i i still love political science so i was able to find balance by getting into public choice theory mm -hmm. so um this is probably the last the last topic i'll be addressing before yeah, yeah for ahead. sure man we're already going in an hour and 13 yeah right but we're gonna have you on again because oh, no, honestly sure. we're gonna do we we have so much more to cover well, I, that I, it, 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 this is good. Keep going. Say what you're going to yeah, say. So, yeah, I was saying like, yeah, like public choice theory basically is a cross uh, sectional discipline. So it was created by James Buchanan, who's a, who was a libertarian, classical liberal economist and philosopher. He even won the Nobel Prize too. Uh, so basically it is the mixture of, or should I say the application of economic thinking to politics. It's fascinating. I read a book called The Calculus of Consent. It is his best book. I have to admit, it's pretty heavy to read. It's very, very analytical. Like, you need to be ready to, to read that. Otherwise, you would not get it. Mm -hmm. It's very analytical, but it is a fascinating book. And it completely changed my perspective on, on, on politics because I wanted to be a politician back then. <laughs> but now you don't know how, how much I hate politics. <laughs> So if I, if you were political process, yeah, if you were to finish this off with saying this, what is, what's your biggest goal in life? Obviously, like we said before, right? You want to be malleable like water. You want to adapt to whatever life throws at you. But right now, who you are, based on what you've developed, what you've done, 
and the the way you're trying to build out mm -hmm. your brand. What is what do you mm -hmm. what are you what's your focus? What's your big goal right now? Who Even is, though it might change, what's yeah. in your mind right now? Who, who is Germinal Van? So who is Germinal Van? Germinal Van is a scholar, is an intellectual, is a uh, statistician, is is an economist. That's who I am. Now what I want to do. Big goal, I used to project myself too much. I used to have big goals in terms of, uh, you know, what I want to do. Of course, if I have to, I have to admit the one big goal that I have one day is to win the Nobel Prize in economics. That's I huge, man. Which I'm going to say this before you continue. I feel like with the generations we have, I feel that the, the, the competition is only getting smaller and smaller in terms of capability within millennials yeah. and younger that can yeah. even potentially get close to winning that. And I, I really hope so, but that's my big goal. But okay. what I, I want to do, in fact, is not even to, uh, to become a professor or anything, but I want in the next few years, create a, uh, an online agency, a political consulting firm, where I'll be working with all kinds of politicians, even those that I disagree with, because here I'm thinking in terms of profit. I don't even Well, you, I mean, at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to. But look, as long as you're solving a problem. Exactly. And you're way, I'll be honest with you, you're way smarter than I am. There's no <laughs> question about that. Uh, dude, I'm pulling for you, man. Win that Nobel, Peace, uh, Nobel Prize because. Oh, yeah. I mean, I. And you should start a business with it because at the end of the day, um, our knowledge is a resource you can allocate. Right, but exactly that too. But if you can solve a problem for people, and I'm sure there are people. Oh yeah, like, like yeah, like, I, I definitely spoke with my friends about that. We want to open that in the next um, five between 2025 and 2030. We want to create our online business of political consulting. So a local politician comes and say, "Hey, okay, guys, like I want to run in this district. I want to run in this, you know, this district. And what are my chances?" So we'll run a diagnostic i will yeah. apply my econometric skills do the statistical analysis and see okay based on the result this is are these are your chances to win and etc so yes yeah, basically like a firm to do like political forecasting and run polls do you well, want to do an advisory component to it also or purely absolutely. forecasting oh, oh, no 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 okay. absolutely, oh, absolutely. Okay, okay, yeah. okay. Oh, yeah, for looking so very a lot more for looking advisory exactly oh yeah absolutely like build like build like a uh you see the way like firms build like a business model mm -hmm. and say, okay, this how this the step you should follow to scale your business. Of course, we do the same for campaigns too. Yeah, that, that's this. That's the, one thing I want to do. Yeah, the, this has been a very very interesting conversation, man. Um, yeah, I oh, want no, you, you. You guys are the best. You guys, <laughs> <laughs> you guys are the best. No, but seriously, like we're gonna have you on uh, yeah. at a later time when the world is probably a little bit more different than it is right now. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah. Where where can they find you, man? And honestly, uh, I mean, honestly, like you're on Instagram, know, right? Yeah, Instagram is my main. I mean, I'm on Facebook too and LinkedIn, but. Instagram is my main tool. What's your What's your handle, just so the listeners know? Uh, Germinal Gven at Germinal Gven. We'll include Perfect. it in the bio. So yeah. we're, we're we're gonna include it in the bio, man. Like, thank you so much for coming on. Oh no, thank you, Dan, and thank you, Nick. Nick, honestly, thank you for suggesting me to to for inviting me to the podcast, and then thank you for for hosting me. I, I really appreciate it. I'm, I'm grateful to both of you guys. We're, we're gonna we're, we're gonna have you on again, man. Absolutely, oh, for sure. So anyway, and I apologize for taking the phone while my <laughs> Don't worry about it.
<laughs> Don't worry about it. That's nothing, okay. nothing like, nothing like unscripted content, Ron. Like we're, this, this was totally unscripted just for the record. <laughs> so, so I want everybody to know that this was not scripted. We just had an intro and that was pretty much it. So yeah, <laughs> Germinal, man. Thank you so much. Again. Thank you keep hustling, um, brother. Huh? Keep hustling. Keep, keep hustling. Guys, let's check us out on our newsletter. Uh, we've been sending those out recently. NewGenMindset.com and follow us at NewGenMindsetPod on Instagram. We'll see you next time. Perfect. Thank you. Ciao, guys. guys. Ciao. Uh,